Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Paid Ads Gangster and founder of BusinessNet, Ben Simkin. Ben got his start early in business, launching a tech company at the age of 20 years old and selling it in his mid-20s for $1.2 million. He then went on to launch his marketing agency in 2005. When Facebook began advertising, he recognized its huge potential, and Ben was one of the very first advertisers on Facebook, making him one of the very few people who have more than a decade of experience with Facebook ads. Fast forward to today, Ben is recognized by the Huffington Post of the world's number one Facebook marketer. He's been featured in Forbes, Inc. Magazine, and interviewed by CNBC for having generated well over $1 billion in sales using Facebook. In 2018, Facebook Inc. bestowed VIP advertising status to Ben's marketing agency. His clients include Kerwin Ray, AJ Abraham, and companies such as Canterbury. Ben has worked with celebrities all over the world, and today he is here to help us all get up to speed on how to do Facebook and Instagram marketing to grow our sales. So Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Daryl. It's a pleasure being on this podcast with you. It's been it's been long overdue. Yeah, yeah. We've had to get you back. Sooner than later. Now, I want to talk, some of those that don't know your story, can you talk about the early days of online paid advertising? Like, has it changed a lot? What was it like when you first got started? And how did you yeah. get started? How did I get started? What's changed? Well, I had my tech company that I was doing, um, that I was running and growing. And before I sold it, one of my clients, this is around 2005, 2004, he said, one of my clients told me, he said, I want to get a website. Everyone's getting websites these days and I want to do online marketing. I was like, well, I don't really know much about it, but I'll do it. Well, I didn't say that. I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do the online marketing stuff. Thinking that I could go and find an expert, pay them, and then put a little bit of margin on top and you know, sell it to my client. So I did. I went and found somebody who could help me. And then I got the gig. I, I signed the client up for the online marketing and then I, I hit the guy up who was going to do it all for me. And he said, oh, I can't do it anymore because I just got a job with the government. So I, I don't have any time. So I was like, oh, well, what do I do now? Since I got the money in the bank, I don't want to give it back. So I decided to start figuring it out myself. Going back to kind of give you some point of reference. When I was 13, I got my first computer. It was a little secondhand, little secondhand 486 computer. And I was so intrigued by this device. I was like, I want to learn how this thing works. Like, and I, I actually went to the school library and got every single textbook you could find on anything to do with computers. And by the age of 16, I taught myself five programming languages. Wow. I was computer hacking. I was, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And the kind of point I'm trying to make is like, I, I've kind of used that with everything in my life. I've said, well, I, I figured out how to do computers like on my own, just by reading textbooks, like. There's nothing that I can't figure out by getting, getting the right information, getting the right advice, reading the right books. There's nothing that I can't figure out. So I kind of go into that mentality where it's like, well, I, I want to learn how to do online marketing. So I'm going to step, just go down that rabbit hole and figure all this stuff out. And my, that first, first climb, we ended up making $3 million in revenue for within the first three months. And that was when it was like, 
this light bulb moment for me was like, wow, this online marketing stuff is amazing. And that was when I was hooked. And then I ended up selling my company that I had and started a marketing agency called BusinessNet around that same time. And so that was really the journey. But you go into like what it was like, there was no Facebook. There was no Google AdWords was kind of like primitive, if at all. What, what I had to do was I would find these list brokers who would rent you an email list of say 10,000 people and you could choose by demographic. So I'd say, I want a list of everyone in, in Sydney who's between the ages of 30 and 45 years old. Mm-hmm. Then I would email out an offer, like an email offer to those people and get the sales that way. Now, the problem with that was we, we always ran out of lists. So we would we'd run these campaigns, we'd get, you know, send an app to say 30,000 people over the course of two or three months, get the sales in. Then we'd run out of emails to send to. So we'd have to stop, wait, and then go back to the start of the list again after a month or two. So it was really up and down in those times. And that kind of leads into like the Facebook thing is when Facebook announced approximately 2009, they said, we're going to open up an ads platform where you can target people based on demographics and interests and things like that. I was like, oh man, this is exactly like what I'm doing now. Only I'm not going to run out of names ever. So that's why I jumped on straight away. And it's been for a decade now. Now, how is this, is the strategy similar? How do the strategies differ? Or how do they differ? How do they differ? Well, you know, it, it goes back to this understanding. If you can go through the lens of what is the formula for successful marketing? And the formula is T plus O plus F, which stands for target offer message. So putting the right offer in front of the right target with the right message. So you can look at that lens. You can say, well, Facebook, I can get in front of the right target. I can give them the right offer and I can use the right message or copy to get them in, right? So target offer message. So it was the same thing like email, get the right target. But it's better than that now because with Facebook, you not only can target demographic, but you could target psychographics as well. And on top of that, in the last, what is it now to 20, so last four years since the AI platform has been installed into Facebook, now you can target people based on what they're going to buy next week, which is amazing. Now that kind of sounds similar to Google AdWords and keyword marketing. Like if you use a keyword planner and you find a keyword that's going to have, you know, 5,000, 50,000 people, it says on average monthly searches, that's like fresh churn. That's fresh people entering the market or at least entering that state of mind kind of month after month after month. Is that accurate? It is accurate. But the thing is with Facebook now is that Facebook is so advanced and has so much data sources feeding into it, billions of data points feeding into it about every single user. And the relationship between each user and the relationship between how, you know, it can profile you. It knows that Facebook knows so much about you. Like it knows that sort of right-leaning politics. It knows that I like to buy, I like to drink a lot of coffee. It knows that I hang out with specific friends who have specific interests in marketing and business. It knows, like it knows everything and it can profile, not just on data, but based on behavioral analysis. And then what it can do with that is it can pretty much predict at a high probability level what you are going to buy in the short-term future. Like yeah. it knows that, hey, you've been running hundreds of miles for, uh, you know, whatever, but it knows if you're going to buy a new pair of shoes, a new car, like if it knows you're about to get engaged, even if you don't know you're about to get engaged, it knows that, for example. 
That's pretty wild. So how does somebody listening to this take advantage of that? It sounds like an incredibly powerful tool, but just because you have an expert tool doesn't mean you know how to use it expertly. So what would you recommend to people just getting started? Well, I think getting started, you want to think, you really got to just cut away from don't get blinded by the tech. Go back to this thing as well. I did consultation calls through my mastermind and I had one yesterday. This guy was, he was like, how do I get, you know, how do I sell my products? And I'm like, well, who's the target market? You know, find out who's the target market. I'm not just talking about age and gender, who they are situationally right now. Your target, well, I'll give you an example right now because we're, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Your target market has changed. The person hasn't changed, but their situation and context has. So now all of a sudden I've got to rethink, well, what are they doing right now? What behaviors are they exhibiting right now? What are they worried about right now? What are their goals right now? Like what are those psychographical kind of threat, third dimensional things about your target market that you need to know so that you can get, you can really understand them, create an offer that matches that person. As Robert Collier, the great Robert Collier said, you have to meet them where they have to meet, meet them where they are. Let's the Collier letter book. It's a media read. I have a copy of that back in Canada. Took me forever to get through it, but that is a great, it's a great book to have. It's just a swipe file for old school. That is my favorite marketing book of all time. It's awesome. That book is incredible. You know, if you're thinking about, he he generated over $200 million in sales during the Great Depression. Yeah, back when that was a lot of money. (laughs) There was no money. This is the Great Depression. He generated $200 million, which is so much money. So you can learn from him and apply those techniques and principles to your Facebook ads. I love it. So to get started, you need to identify your target, your offer, and then the message you want to give them. Now, what about testing? Because a lot of people, when they look at like online advertising, a lot of people are getting their accounts blocked. I mean, we all know that marketing is a process of iteration. You always want to put your best foot forward, but ultimately we can't know. Facebook might know what people, what Facebook might be able to predict the actions people take, but we don't know which ad's going to be the home route. So we have to test different things. And a lot of people have had issues with getting their accounts banned and blocked and that sort of thing. And ah, what do you, can you t- speak to that? In some ways, I know at least this isn't maybe the newbie. I know some people that have been frustrated trying to get going because they're just doing testing and all of a sudden their accounts get slammed and shut down and they've got no recourse. They've tried yeah. stabbing and all that. Yeah. It's just like this thing. It's like we always get this thing because I'm VIP with Facebook. I can actually call them up and talk to the high level people there because I'm in the top 2% of advertisers, you know, of all advertisers, not just agencies, but all advertisers. So I get special privileges and people always come to me from, you know, people from the public or community or business people. Hey, I've been banned. I'm like, well, what did you do wrong? Oh, nothing. I didn't do anything wrong, but it's fine. They do something wrong. You know, like, did you read the terms of service? Have you read what the rules are? You know, oh no, I didn't, you know. <laughs> it's like, come on guys, like you got to play by the rules, you know. So what do you recommend to anybody that's in that situation now? They they made the mistake, read. they wanted to get action <laughs> going. What do they do? Well, they need to read the terms of service before they go and violate any policies, you know. <laughs> right, 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 okay. All right. So the solution is, I mean, that's kind of like, I remember asking one of my, well, I used to, I, I haven't trained jujitsu in years, but I remember I used to always get caught in triangle chokes. I remember asking my, my teacher, yeah. time, how do I get out of it? He said, don't, don't get put into it. And that, 
that was really irritating <laughs> to me at the time because I'm like, well, obviously, but I didn't understand the wisdom of what he had said. So it sounds like you're giving the same advice. I'm like, what do you do if you have a band account? You're like, don't, don't have a band account. Well, well, obviously, but come on. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, what do you have to say? You know, uh, I don't know. Like, does somebody need at that point? I guess it sounds like they need to deal with an expert. They made a mistake. They, they, have, they, they have to. They, they have, if you're working with me as a client, I can go into bat for you to Facebook. I can actually, you know, present the case for you if you're a client. But if you're some guy up the street, you you send slides into my DMs and says, "Hey man, can you help me?" I'm like, "What's yeah, in it for me, man?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, all right, so let's talk, let's get dive into some, so what are some of the biggest mistakes you see your clients and other entrepreneurs making? When people come, I know like, again, it's, I always find that no matter who they are, anytime I work with someone, there's always a fundamental that's weak or one of the fundamentals that's missing. And for what do you, what are the ones that you're seeing when you work with a new client or another entrepreneur, what are kind of the fundamentals that you always see people needing to work on the most? Man, it's so many, but if they're just, people are just not driven as much as they should be driven. There's no urgency. They don't get things done quickly. They give themselves, you know, like I remember like it was a little while ago, was, we were creating a whole new funnel marketing campaign website. We had it done in a matter of like two weeks. We had everything done. We had it all launched. I was speaking to someone else and they were saying, oh yeah, it's been three months. I still haven't got my website finished. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, do you realize that you're dying every minute of the day? That's right. <laughs> you know, like get shit done, man. Like get it done quickly. Yeah, that's one of them. The other ones are taking money out of the business. Like people, people are drawing too much money out of their business when they should be reinvesting it either into their own business or into others' asset classes. You know, this whole thing like that, that we're working 20 hours a day or 15 hours a day for three years and they're like, you know, they're hustling and they go, well, I just made a couple of hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to go buy a Ferrari because I deserve it. You don't fucking deserve it. Like you don't deserve it. Just put it back in the money and reinvest it. You know, I worked for my first eight years in business. I worked 20 hours a day. So, and the other thing is like, you, you go on these click funnels groups and they're like, ah, uh, I've been trying to get click funnels to work for three months and I haven't got successful yet. And it's like, well, okay. Like, you know what? How long did it take you to walk? <laughs> yeah. I think that that's something that people really miss out on. I'm a huge believer in daily disciplines and managing your daily 24 hours and the habits and routine. I think that's such a critical component. Like, you know, it's so ironic, but it's like the, by, what am I trying to say? Who you are when like more money won't solve your problem. You have to fix your flaws in your daily focus and your daily routine. Like you said, in your sense of urgency now, because it's like, if I could wave some magic wand and boom, your website's done. But you still have this, like you still are slow to get things done. You still don't have a proper team in place. All these things, like it's just going to trip you up further down the the road. It's almost like that leaning tower of Pisa. Like if you are building a building and it's off by a degree, the building's leaning slightly, you're not going to notice it when you're only on the first, second, third floor. But I start getting to the 10th floor, 15th floor. As you start trying to scale up, all of a sudden that's where all the weak points come out. And that's where you really have to get focused on the fundamentals. And it all starts, in my opinion, with daily routine, your habits, and where you're investing your time. I mean, I almost think of my time like dollars. And it's like, I can, when I wake up in the morning, I've got, you know, I'm going to sleep, we'll say eight hours. So that's 16 hours of the day. I have $16. And I could put a dollar into my health. I could put $3 into my health. I could put a dollar into the relationships that matter, you know, or I could put $5 into watching TV. Yeah. I love that. That's really good. I like that way you see. Look at that. That's beautiful. That's really nice, man. 
Well, I mean, that's what you say, because it's so funny because it's like the irony is like the people who can make money are often the ones that can have access to a lot of credit, but they don't need it because they know how to make the money. But the people who have no money, they need the credit, but they don't have it because they don't like they need it. And it's the underlying key the common denominator is like need, want, or waste, not, want, not. And so the people that develop the skill, you know, you always see all sorts of rich people that they're not driving flashy cars. They're not, they're not trying to puff themselves up. Again, using a martial arts analogy, I know when you go to train at another dojo or another guy's gym and you ask someone how long you've been training, the experienced people are downplaying their experience and the novices are puffing themselves up. You know, the novice is like, yeah, I've been training for two and a half years, man. I'm the killer. And the guy that's been doing it for 12 years, he's like, you know, I've been training for a while. Like he's very humble and downplaying it. And it's that skill set. It's that humble discipline that you're about the journey, not about the destination. And I think that's where you're talking about the, you know, being more driven. Having yeah, no, it's an urgency. I think that's good. I think you need to be down to earth. I think that the people who don't have money, probably the, the people that you see, who are struggling are doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it for validation. They're doing it because they're insecure about themselves. They're doing it because they want to look good in front of their peers. Like if you're in it to, to gain the approval of your peers, you're doing it wrong. You should be gaining the approval of your clients and customers. That's where you should be focusing. Like, how can I serve my clients better? How can I deliver more value to my customers and clients? Love the product and they love me and they love my company. Yeah. If you're in these peer groups, where it's like, ah, oh, I've got a two comic club award. Like, who cares? Like, how? Uh, tell me how you've been able to add a lot of value to your client, and I'll, I'll respect you from that. You know, I think that that speaks to something that's even again, we're talking about not the superficial, but the practical. I think this kind of talks about how business is really an act of servitude, and that there's many forms of wealth. And money on its own is inert; it has no meaning. It's like a lump of gold is just a lump of gold. The meaning is how you use it. And so, I think what you're trying to say is there's more than just cash as a measure for success. And that if even right now we're in a global pandemic, economies are being hurt, like a lot of people aren't liquid right now. And all of a sudden they're finding out that there are other resources that either have or have not developed. And a huge part of that is, like you said, like taking care of people, being there. If you are committed to helping someone else and making them look good, they're going to support you in turn. And this is where I think, like you said, it's not just about the money. A lot of people, they're very selfish. They want to make all this money and sit on the beach and drink their cocktail. And I know you've probably done it. I know I've done that. I made a shit ton of money and did that, but it's like, now you want meaning in your life. Like it's fun for a week, but now, you know, after drinking at 7am, when you wake up in the morning, you start wanting more meaning and significance from your life. And I think that's, again, it kind of comes back to what are the goals and why are you driven? And you know, what, what are your reasons for doing it? And it's true. And I think people are trying to chase money because I think it's going to bring them happiness where, you know, they've got to realize that happiness was inside of them the whole time. <laughs> realized that. And I've, I've come to the conclusion of, of a while ago, you know, breaking it down because I'm a systems guy. Like I want to break things down into understandable ideas, tangible ideas. And I was thinking, you know, how does happiness, the elements of happiness are self-expression, creativity, and serving others. That's all there is. Yeah. That's it. Everything else is just keeping score. That's it. That's right. If you don't have those three things and you've got $10 million in the bank, you'll be unhappy. You yeah. will be. You yeah. need to be in a position where you can serve others, where you can self-express, you know, whether it's through art or music or through some other way of expressing your unique talents and your unique self and the creativity that comes along with that. I love it. Three elements. So now let's say I've got a way that I want to serve. I've got a, a target problem that I'm trying to solve for people or a target market that I want to help and I want to serve. 
So I got my target, I've got my offer, I've got my message, you know, but right now I'm doing it manually. I'm manually messaging people on LinkedIn or whatever that is. And I'm generating leads. How do I train? How do I scale that? How do I take that, my manual process and turn it into a semi-automated marketing system and scale it? Yeah. So if you really understand your target market and you've got an offer that your marketplace that your target wants, that's an irresistible offer to them then you're, you are like 80% of the way there. You know, if you've got those two elements down pat, then you want to go on Facebook ads and run some ads and, and target the right people with your offer, either, whether it's through a landing page, a funnel, through a message, you know, through a message, whatever it is, whatever method you want to use, it's probably not that relevant compared to having the right target, the right offer. If you've got that down pat, if you jump on Facebook ads, you don't have, you don't know who your target is. You don't have a great offer that they want, you're going to fail. So you need to have those two things in place before you even think about jumping on Facebook as manager. You might still make it work, but you're going to spend a lot more in time and money and testing. Yeah. You're not going to make it work. You're not going to make it work. And I'll use this analogy where let's just say that I was able to come into some, you know, hundred pair of Nike Shoes, top quality, brand new shoes. They fell off the back of a truck. Don't ask me where or how I got them, but I got them for free and they're $150 shoes. And I go to the retirement home to cash in and, and I say, I've got these brand new Nike shoes in all different colors, different sizes. Would you like to buy some? Nobody at the retirement home buys them, right? Right. They they're don't not know buying. what Jordans are. They don't, they don't. <laughs> they're not buying them, right? So I, I, in my, in my distress, I get depressed. I get really, really blind drunk because I'm so depressed that I can't make any money because nobody's buying my shoes. And I wake up the next morning, people are poking me and try to wake me up and yelling at me, say, wake up, wake up, son. And I find myself, I've actually landed on the field of where the runners club, the joggers club people meet up every Saturday morning. And my boots open and they're all asking me, how much are these shoes? How much are these shoes? I'm like, $20 each. What are you, like, leave me alone. I've got a hangover. And I sell out, I sell out all of my shoes within 10 minutes. Now, the next, earlier the day before, I was so, so articulate. I presented well. I gave a really good sales pitch, but nobody bought. But the next morning, I was so hungover. I couldn't even talk and communicate properly. I looked so disgusting. I smelled terrible, but I sold out within 10 minutes. What was the difference? The target audience. The yeah, exactly. So let me ask you a question then. Do you feel people change products too frequently and that they need to test their offers and, and maybe their ads and their targeting more? Or do you, right? Like, I, I, I guess I'm asking a leading question and I want you to say it. I'm trying to get you to say it, but I feel like it's something that I've even discovered myself is I've seen myself and other people think it's the product that's the problem versus the positioning and the marketing of the product. Yeah, it's not agree product. with that or? It's not the product. It's either the target or the offer. How you're presenting the product is the offer, or you're going after trying to sell something. It's this thing. Like you can go to the retirement home all day long and try and sell shoes. You might sell one pair every six weeks, you know, but if you go to the right target, you're going to sell out instantly. Likewise with the offer. If I go to the retirement home and I sell, what do they want? Like dentures, I'm going to sell them out, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think what we're telling people here is, you know, figure out what your problem that you're going to solve is, and then spend a lot of time focusing on testing the targets and the offers and just make sure the product is really, really good. But don't be one of these people that's testing 70 different products and you're doing one or two ads each. You should have one or two products 
that you're doing 70 different things to try to sell. Would you agree? Exactly. 100%. Get one off of working and profitable. Don't, don't be doing this, you know, running around trying to sell all different things. Now, what's your input between the marriage between online and offline sales? Are you, are we driving ads to sales pages and, and online order forms? Are you a big fan of phone sales? Like, what do you think are kind of the pillars of an effective sales and marketing system? We talked about <clears throat> having a target offer and a message. You know, we talked about how to take that kind of one-on-one, you know, messaging over LinkedIn and how to p- pivot it to ads. But how do you scale it up? How do you really make sure that you're able to afford to advertise? Oh, well, if you're starting a business, you should have some sort of investment capital. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that you want to do every, all of the above. You want to, you know, the best the thing that comes back down to the best salespeople are the ones or the best marketers. The best marketing people are the ones that know how to sell face to face. The ones that know how to pound the pavement, press the flesh, you know, <laughs> I come from a sales background where I was selling face-to-face, knee-to-knee, where, you know, the ability to put bread on the table required me to show up in person, be able to to say words and express myself and give body language that was going to enable the complete stranger to trust me enough to give me money for something that I promised them to do in the future. Mm-hmm. So if you can, if you can do that in person, you can do that online. So, yeah, I'm like, I'd like your input because I know you're building teams. What about with the, like, all right, so I know how to sell. I've got some ads going. How do I scale this up though? Like I'm able to generate some sales. I've got some ricky dink ad campaigns going. Even if I hired your agency and you were able to send me 2000 people, how do we scale that up? Is there any advice or tips for that? Because I know a lot of people feel that sometimes to scale sales, they have to scale overhead and the team and, you know, and people and, like, do you have a, can you speak to that at all? Like, how do you scale? Yeah. Okay. How do you scale and limit adding too much complexity, I guess? Okay. Well, you, if you, you know, let's just say you figured out who your target is, you figured out what your offer is, you figured out what your optimal selling strategy is, you figured out what words and phrases you need to say, what words and phrases you need not to say when you're doing a sales pitch, or you've been able to get your online offer converting well, you want to be able to systemize, codify all of that so that you can hand it to the next person and say, do the, do this in this order. Don't deviate from the plan that works. That's proven that I've proven personally. And then you're able to, to grow and scale one person at a time based on a systematic codified way of doing things. It's like that in anything, you know, if you were to train in the military how to kill people they're not just doing it randomly ad hoc on you know here's a new idea there's systematic ways to do that you know or if you are a doctor there's a proven systematic codified way for you to do heart surgery they're not just saying well let's just let's just wing it man (laughs) right there's a checklist in place there's a step-by-step process something that's a complex Dynamic process perhaps has been reduced to a series of multiple steps and if then quite exactly and it comes down to like right granularly even things to do with words that you say and words that you should never say to a prospect or client like it comes down to when you should call them it comes down to when you should charge them you know all of these different things i'll give you an example i figured out 
in my first company, the best time to send an invoice for my work was three days after I'd completed it. I figured out the best time to follow up a client was every every five weeks, not every seven weeks. So I systematically created and tested every single process, action, plan, word, email, phone call, and document that. I love that. And that's a painstaking process that requires discipline and focus and effort over time. Well, you don't have those things. You don't have discipline and focus, and you don't have the ability to do this up, and you don't deserve to become successful. You do not deserve You should not get it, and I hope you don't get it. And that's why I guess that's where mentorship steps in. That's where working with an agency would step in, where you can now get support and guidance. You might not be running at that world-class level, but you can build your team, you know, some way, shape or form. So now you have people on your team that are at that level and they can train you and they can fill those gaps. Absolutely. Yes. You're not going to be good at everything. Maybe you're not good at doing the systemization code of five. Maybe you're not good at getting up every morning at 5 a.m. Maybe you're not good enough to, maybe you don't have the skill sets to be able to turn up every day, or maybe you don't have the skill set to be able to, you know, dial three out of the phone numbers a day. Maybe you don't have that and you don't have to. Don't change yourself in those areas. Just hire people who can do that for you, who have the ability and inclination and desire to do those things for you that want to do it. Some people love to dial 300 phone calls a day. Maybe you don't. So then hire somebody who does. (laughs) That's been a really big learning point for me over the last couple of years, I'd say. I'm a coach and I'm a motivator. So I have this terrible habit of hiring people that I see potential in, but they aren't like my standards are too low for where people start at. Everybody can mm. grow and improve, but I allow people on my team and to work with me that maybe aren't where they should be to begin with. But I do it because I love to see people win and be there. But that's now I'm talking about like recognizing your strengths and skill sets. That's where I can't be the manager. Like I can't be the manager of that. You know, I could be a coach, a leader, all that, but I'm not a good person for that because you still have to have a standard. You must be this good to be on my team, but we're all going to grow. As opposed to being like, you're almost there. I believe in you, like a cheerleader. Like, that's just not. Yeah, I, I, I'm the opposite. I need to have somebody who's highly capable, who can manage themselves, who has high standards for themselves, who is skilled, very highly skilled in what they do, disciplined. Because if I don't have those people, I'm not going to turn up and I'm not, I can't babysit them because I don't have the ability to get up every day and, and worry about what everyone else is doing. Yeah. I'm too focused on creating the next idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, the babysitting part, that was the liberating thing that I've been learning in the last few years. It's just my own personal thing. But let me ask you, what are some of the day-to-day habits that you feel have really helped you over the years on your path to success? I mean, we talked about one, having a daily sense of urgency and getting the work done. We also talked about testing a lot of different offers. But is there like, in terms of a calendar, when you get up and schedule your day, are there certain times a day that you will like you read every day? What are some of the habits that you felt have really been helpful? Yeah, you know, everyone's going to be different. There's actually a book that I want to give a shout out for called The Perfect Day Formula by Craig Ballantyne. I found that's probably the best book I've found on routines and schedules and how to get the most out of your day. It's called The Perfect Day Formula. That book was a real game changer for me. Definitely. But in terms of like, what should you wake up at 5 a.m.? Should you wake up at 10 a.m.? Like, I don't think there's any real one. There's no one way of doing it. I think yeah, it's fine. I'm, you are, I'm curious what uh, yours are. Like, do you have a time of day that you always schedule? Like, do you talk to your customers on a regular basis? Or do you leave that to support? 
Are you reviewing everybody's work once a week? Or do you feel like every day you need to sharpen your sword? So you always like, you're always in someone's course or program or reading a book. Like, I'm curious about those kind of structural things to your life in terms of habit that you feel are compounding and giving you momentum <laughs> time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I read a lot. I study a lot. I also create a lot of my own content from, from my own individual research. So I'm not I'm just consuming, I'm creating. So I think that's important for me. That is an important value for me to do is to keep creating and helping other people and serving other people. In terms of do I talk to customers every day? I don't because I have a team, but it's still important to be in touch with your clients and the people you work with to understand what's going on out there and seeing where everything's going, seeing what direction that the business should take and what things should change in the business. So that's important. Being healthy, meditating, you know, those kinds of things, I think, help a lot. Mm, got it. So, you know, reading a lot, creating a lot of content, staying in touch. So this isn't like a business that you have no interest in and you're detached from. And, you know, like you're involved, at least in yourself and directing in the things, the skill sets that you are applying to the businesses you're involved in. You're reading a lot. Absolutely. You're creating content on those industries a lot. It sounds like you're a big advocate for management by walking around, not necessarily waiting for a meeting to sink in, but you know, you're like, you're available, you're, you're in touch. You're not just waiting for someone to necessarily come to you, but I mean, it's set up that you don't have to be, but it sounds like you're a fan of the management by walking around. And I absolutely, definitely, absolutely. And I think empowering people like empowering your team. Um, so I give everyone in my team absolute and final power over anything that they want to do if they want to write a check for ten thousand dollars they can do that if they want to fire a client we come together and say we want to get rid of this client if they don't want somebody on the team then they you know it's everything is a joint decision so there's it's kind of like an almost democratic way of doing things where everyone has the same vested stake of being able to say this is the final word on things, if that kind of makes sense. And they can go and do whatever they want. Yeah. So that's something that has to come down to, do you trust your employees? If you don't, you shouldn't have them on your team anyway. If you trust them to be able to, to decide if they want to write a, a check for $10,000 tomorrow without telling you about it, if you don't have that confidence, then you probably shouldn't have them on your team anyway. Mm, I love that. And it's just like some of this stuff is common sense, but it's almost like how our lives are influenced. Like if somebody just came in and, you know, pushed you, you would do something. But if somebody comes to sit beside you and they nudge you a little bit, you kind of let it slide. When they nudge you again a little bit, you let it slide. They nudge you again a little bit, you let it slide. And almost like that slippery slope. Like it sounds like a lot of the stuff, some of the stuff that you're saying people think are common sense. But if a lot of us are so close to our own projects, our own teams, if we're not objectively looking at it and seeing that kind of thing. So I appreciate you putting kind of putting it out there how do you feel about developing a culture how important is a culture to a, a company team and how do you develop culture you know that's a tough one i don't know if i could actually codify that but I mean, we have a great culture in the company i think it just comes down to this projection reflection thing like if you want to be trusted be trusting if you want to you know it's what whatever you whatever you send out to the universe comes back to you if you want you know if you want to be respected, be respecting, like all of these kind, whatever you want in your culture, you have to send out first and then it'll come back to you. I love that emphasis on personal accountability. That comes Project, back. It's projection the- and reflection. If you want somebody to be confident in you, have confidence, you know, like all these kinds of things, you know, mm-hmm. it's a mirror, it's a mirror. I love it. Oh, I love it. Cause it puts the onus on you. Cause a lot of people, 
I mean, this is, uh, there's a good, we're talking about books. Psycho-Cybernetics is, was a book that was written, I guess, by this plastic surgeon that kind of discovered the self-identity that we had. You know? Yeah. And because people were getting plastic surgery to solve things. Like there was a guy who thought he sucked at sales because his nose was really big and ugly and it thought it was distracting. So they got it fixed, but then it didn't solve the problem for him in his life. He still had that psychological hangout. Self as a sad person, exactly right. right. Self-identity, self-image is like one of the most important things. I had a consultation recently with a business owner and I said, you should go after these retail association companies and get your product into those large, really large corporations. And he said, well, I, I always feel really funny about approaching those people because of, you know, I'm just, it's just, you know, a little old me. And I'm like, oh, you're the CEO. You're like, you own the third largest manufacturer of your product in the country. Like, why do you see yourself as like, just a, some other dude, you have to help that self-image that you're a CEO and that you have something to offer the world, you know? So self-image is really important. The personal development, that working on yourself, your skills. I just love that because I feel like that's kind of the underlying theme of all this, you know, like you have to manage your time in a day. You have to manage yourself. You can't expect somebody else to do something if you can do it. And even if you're not, like you said, you don't have to be the person that loves dialing 300 times. But you have to have it documented on how to do it in a way that's articulated that you could do it. If you had, you may not get the best results in your team, but you know, you've made it simple. I mean, that's how McDonald's made a multi-billion dollar company out of, you know, hiring teenagers with no low education and no skills. And they just made it really simple to codify these systems and put someone in place. I I know if anyone here is a fan of EMA, they're they're a big fan of saying people don't fail, your systems do. Absolutely. And that's a big, that's a big, and yeah. it's, it's just refining that out and that managing yourself. And Dr. Goldrack, in his book, I think it's the theory of constraints, talks about if there's a conflict, it's not a people's conflict, it's a procedural systems conflict. Mm. You know, if something goes wrong, if something goes wrong in the business, there's a system or policy that is at odds with another system or policy. Right, right. Yeah, that was the goal. What was the author of that? Eli Goldrat. That's right. Yeah, it talks about the theory of constraints. So, absolutely. But I mean, you've given so much value. People probably want to try to listen to this a couple of times if they can. Now, I want to ask about what's going on right now. And are things changing on a tactical level in terms of what's working online and what is it? What, where should people be focused right now? Where do you see things going in the next year to two years based on what you're seeing happening right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of go- a lot of things going on. Is there money to be made right now? Absolutely. You have to think about this. You know, you don't want to panic and you don't want to assume that nobody's buying. There, are, There's a couple of kind of underlying principles here that, you know, as we go into a recession or a depression, whatever the hell it's going to be, it's not an evaporation of wealth. It's a transference of wealth. And likewise, if if somebody's, you know, if all these people are losing their job, those jobs are just going to be transferred into other industries, other businesses, other you know, other areas, they're not, the job doesn't disappear. It just gets transferred somewhere else in, in the economy. So think about those ideas that there's no evaporation of jobs and wealth. It's just being transferred somewhere else and you need to go and find where it's going. And so you can be there, you know, and what is that thing? What is the thing about luck being prepared? Is the thing the where, I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, it is. But it's also that, that luck equals opportunity plus preparedness. If you're prepared and you meet the opportunity, then you get lucky. Yeah. 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 The will to win is the will to prepare. And I feel like it's been almost 10 years now where it seems like every year that if not all, a handful of the top five to 10 in-demand jobs didn't exist the year before. Like that's the world that we're in right now. This is the world our kids are growing up in where 
you know, your business is competing with a kid, a teenager in their parents' basement on a laptop on the other side of the planet. Yeah. And all the jobs, you know, and, and so it's. Uh, every generation is worried about something or someone stealing their jobs, you know, like back just when computers started coming out, our computers are going to steal our jobs or factories are going to, you know, automate and steal our jobs. It's like, or immigrants are going to steal. It's like, if that's not really how it works, your job, the jobs don't disappear. They just get transferred somewhere else in the economy and you need to, you need to follow the breadcrumbs. That's all that's happening. Right? So can you summarize your prescription for how to get, make a million or how people can <laughs> get stabbed? There? I know there's no one magic bullet and I don't expect you to be like, here's the real secret. And then, you know, here's the real magic room, Daryl, all this other stuff, you know, like here, there's no magic room is what I'm trying to say for the audience here, but can you try to break it down? I mean, We've already talked about it and repeated it a bunch of times. You need to have a target. You need to have a target, not just a person, like a demographic. You can describe them with demographics, but there has to be like a target situation or a target problem that you're out to yeah. solve, right? Yeah. And that's your niche. And then you need to have a compelling offer, reason for them to do something and not just do something, but do something now. And then the message would be the medium, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or a chat bot or messaging one-on-one on LinkedIn or Facebook, whatever that is. And we talked about how to try and scale it, that once you've got this process down, you need to codify it and you create a systemized plan around it. And then you need to start scaling it either with software or by growing your team one person at a time. Absolutely. Would you build on this? And then what else would you add to this plan? What else would I would add to that plan is to not neglect the personal aspect of this process. You know, it's this journey where you start to get a bit of success and it goes to your head and you start to take your foot off the gas and you start, you kind of go all out and you go buy luxury cars and you go buy a $10,000 table at, at the nightclub or you go and, you know, either you go into this phase where you become overrun by that, it goes to your head maybe, or maybe you get into addictions, like your, whatever it is that's driving you now has to be sorted out, your personal mental health, your personal kind of issues have to be developed as alongside as your business skills because you need to become the person who's worthy of your goal if that makes sense yeah it makes perfect sense like it's very shakespearean i feel like business is very shakespearean where in shakespeare the main characters always you know suffered for their big their biggest flaw the thing that they refused to work on about themselves yeah exactly like that's in business that's, oh, absolutely you know, and, and a lot of people are seeking liberation and we all want the shiny carrot and the easy button. And, you know, but it really comes back to what we've known for all the years that it's about focus, like you said, projection, reflection, goal setting, analysis of what's going on and, and having the time and collaborating with the right people. And what's your perspective on competition, especially in this day and age? Do people need to be more fierce with their competitors? Do you think they need to be more ruthless or should they try to collaborate more? Do you think that I have some people that feel like they don't really ever have any competitors, that they can all co coexist. Curious about your perspective on that in this world. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you can, you want to get into a space where there is no competition. There is no one offering what you're offering in the way that you're offering it. But if there is, then you need to work on building a moat. Warren Buffett talks about building a moat around your business that makes it increasingly more difficult to compete against you. Over over time, you take Coca-Cola as an example, what is the moat? The moat isn't the way the product tastes. It's the distribution network that they've been able to develop, whereby you can go anywhere in the world and walk a few hundred meters anywhere on the planet 
and be able to buy Coca-Cola. Uh, I'll buy this, having been in rural Philippines, rural Vietnam, rural Africa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a cool and if I was to create a better tasting uh, product than Coca-Cola and I enter the market, am I going to be able to compete? No, they don't have distribution, right? Yeah, that's right. So what's the moat that's going to be around your business that it's going to be difficult for you to compete with? Create one of those. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a good product with great, do you feel that you need great marketing and a good product? Do you think you need a great product and good marketing? Yeah, good products. (laughs) Daryl, if Blackberry came to you and said, hey, can you do some marketing, some email automation, some Facebook ads? Some LinkedIn for us. You want to sell a million BlackBerry phones. What are you going to do, mate? Well, it depends what model they're asking me to sell. It depends. Is this a new model? Is this comparable to what's already out there? Or, or are we, you know. Are you going to do it? Well, I don't know. Depends. I mean, it's a good question. Theoretically, I'm not going to sell their old phone, no, because it's not going to compete with anything that's new there. It's not good enough. So I it's guess. That's the point. The, that's the whole point. What yeah. they, they don't have any phones. We've got an old phone. Yeah. Well, then you need to find proper positioning. You might you're be. You're going to sell products? Pardon? Why would you do that? Well, I, that's why I say it really just depends. I'm sorry. We're talking about hypotheticals. The old BlackBerry might work because it, it wouldn't work necessarily like in New York City. Everybody would want the new right. iPhone, the new Samsung. Right. But if you were to sell the BlackBerry in a third world economy where people that maybe couldn't afford the new stuff, maybe there'd be potential there. But that's... right. That's where the target. Well, I, I understand why somebody would even want to sell a bad product. I just don't. I just that's unfathomable to me that they would want to do that. Right, right. Well, I guess I don't see BlackBerry as a bad product because it, it came from Canada, so I don't know. But yeah, they, it, it's dead. It's dead and gone. The reality is, is BlackBerry is not on the radar at all. So I get the point you're making, but I, maybe that's me take, trying to make the, the most of a good of, of an opportunity. It might work if you find some poor people in a third world country that can't afford the, the new stuff. You can sell some BlackBerry. <laughs> right, right. So what's the most effective or productive traffic activity right now? That you're aware of? Is it is it Facebook? Is it remarketing? Is it Instagram ads? Absolutely. Facebook, Instagram is where it's at. It's the, it's the largest platform and it's the largest amount of active users. It has the largest amount of data points than anything else by a long mile. Like what is there? There's number two is very far away from number one. So well, it's people, definitely. Some people say Google and YouTube are major competitors. Well, then have some your podcast. <laughs> uh, no, that's funny. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to get your input. That's really it. But so, so, so I'm trying to think because I know that a lot of people are huge proponents of video marketing on Facebook and Instagram and then retargeting. So that's a big thing right now. So what, what I've heard from others, do you agree with that? Would you propose something different? Is video ads the cat's meow right now? Would you front end video and then remark? Like, what do you think is really like... Yeah, for someone that's getting going, do they just need to do a newsfeed ad? Yeah. If someone's asking those questions, I think they're asking the wrong questions. I think that that you need to really think about like your target and your offer and your message first, and then think about: Am I going to do it as a video? Am I going to do it on Google? Am I going to do it on LinkedIn? Am I going to do it on Facebook? Like that's you get people ask the wrong questions all the time, and I see it all the time. Like people, especially in those those online face free Facebook groups, they're always asking the wrong questions, and as a result, they get the wrong answer. But the question is more important than the answer. Always, always, always the question is more important than the answer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. 
Because the properly phrased question is 8% of the answer anyhow. Absolutely. So really, it doesn't matter. If you've got the right target and you've got an offer that they want, you could be writing crayon on a napkin and they wouldn't give a crap. If I told you Beyonce was naked in a hotel room waiting for you to walk through that door, you wouldn't care if I wrote a phone number and hotel room address and crayon on a napkin. You, you so I guess that's really it. Excellent. So now, Ben, we're approaching kind of the top of the hour. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? I don't think so. I think you asked a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, I mean, it's not every day you get here. For those again that don't know, you know Ben's got a, a very successful online agency. We already talked about doing over a billion dollars in sales with Facebook. And I just love the simplicity. I mean, if you listen to this call, none of this is like you have to do this ninja gray hat technique right now. You know, like, no, this is tried and tested. This will be relevant today. It'll be relevant next year. It'll be relevant five, 10 years from now because it really just comes down to what drives and motivates people. And what the end goal is. I think it's just super simple. Yeah, hey. until, the, until we are overrun and overrun by AI robots that are herding us into, into fields. <laughs> it's quite the dystopian future. So, but hopefully, hopefully we can stave that off. But this is like, yeah, not too late. So as a final thought, what do you think holds most people back? Themselves. Themselves. <laughs> And what held you back? How did you overcome it? I don't know. Nothing's ever held me back. Just do it. Just got to do it. Just do it. Just do it. So for those that have been listening that are really enjoying it. You don't want to do it. It doesn't matter. If you don't, like, you don't have to, you don't have to be a business owner. You don't have to have $10 million. Like, that doesn't define your wealth as, worth as a human being. Like, that's just, we live in such a, a crazy, materialistic you know, uh, John Baldi, a uh, French philosopher, uh, he said that in a world we have, we live in a world not void of meaning, but but of too much meaning. So we're, we're chasing, you know, we're chasing the elusive the elusiveness of something that doesn't even matter. Mm. Yeah, I think that's been a huge eye opener for a lot of people. This stuff that's gone on, like you know, especially because health is so important, and you talked about that as part of your team, taking care of your health and meditating, taking care of your mental and physical health and how that's such an important thing because you might have all these other priorities that are more important than going to the gym today, but I promise you, you get sick, everything else stops. Yeah, Matt, absolutely. Keep your eyes on the priorities. So, but for people that are interested then they want to know more information, where should they go? You can find me on Instagram or Facebook. My handle is Benjamin Simkin. Hit me up, follow me. Yeah, you can also go to businessnet. What is it? Businessnet.coms.au. That is right, mate. That's right. You got a freebie on there too, don't you? You got like a free course or something? What do we got? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Just Google me, look me up, hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Yeah, no, you you got the free consultation. So anyone that wants to have a like a free audit or a consultation, go head over to businessnet.com.au. Go search for Ben Simkin, S-I-M-K-I-N. Hit him up on Instagram or Facebook. Reach out. Again, you may want to listen to this again if you can, just because there's so much here. Like, Ben, thank you so much for coming and sharing. I know you've got your own coaching group. You've got your own following. You've got your own places you can syndicate content. So appreciate you coming and sharing with everyone here. And for those that were listening, you know, now you've been given the keys to the kingdom. It's time to go do something with them. So, Yeah, just do it. Just do it. Awesome. Ben, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I always enjoy our exchanges. I really value our friendship over these years. And uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Daryl.